For many of us, our tendency is to minimize our daily interruptions so we can get more done. On today's show, my guest Douglas Conant helps us all recognize why these moments are so critical in our work as leaders and how we can utilize them in the best possible way. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 136. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And if you are joining the show for the first time, welcome. And for those of you who listen regularly, welcome back. This is the show about the most important thing in business and organizations, and that is people and how to be able to lead people effectively through all of those areas. And one of the great privileges that I've been able to take part in is, is producing and hosting this show each week is to be able to make connections with people who have been influential in my journey. And I've admired in many cases for a distance from, you know, for many years, uh, as our guest today is someone that I've uh, been following for some time and to be able to have a conversation with them and to bring their wisdom to you. And so I am so pleased today to welcome Doug Conan to the show. Doug is the chairman of Avon the chairman of the Kellogg Executive Leadership Institute at the Kellogg School of Management, and also the founder of Conant Leadership. Uh, but I first heard about Doug in his past role as the former CEO of Campbell Soup, and he's also the former president of Nabisco. At Campbell Soup, Conant led 20,000 employees for 10 years and reversed a precipitous decline in market value and he improved employee engagement and workplace culture along with a huge team of people. Uh, and as a result, if you know anything about the Campbell Soup story, uh, him and his team were able to deliver top-tier results in the global food industry. And he has now dedicated his work to helping improve the quality of leadership in the 21st century. And he is most recently the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Touch Points, Creating Powerful Leadership Connections in the Smallest of Moments. Doug, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. That's great to be here. I am thrilled to have you, and I'd love to talk about touch points and the perspective you bring in the book, but I thought we'd start by walking back about 30 years, if you're willing to do that with me, and starting in 1984, Last year, you wrote an article that appeared with Harvard Business Review about getting fired. And in it, you say, before I was fired, I had kept my head down and on my work. As a result, I was sadly disconne disconnected to the business world beyond the company. I felt remarkably alone. Could you tell us more about how you approached your work back then and what getting fired did to change your perspective? Of all years to pick to choose to go back to, this is probably, that was probably my toughest year, uh, 1984. Uh, I, uh, I was working for Parker Brothers Toys and Games outside of Boston. It was at the time owned by General Mills. And I had spent uh, nine going on 10 years with General Mills in a variety of marketing-oriented positions. And uh, 
they decided they no longer wanted to operate in the global toy business, so they spun the company off along with 12 other toy companies they owned. And uh, the new management came in and eliminated several layers of, uh, of management, uh, one of which was my layer. And one day I went into the office. The next day, in a snap, my life had changed. I was out of work. I went home to my wife, my two small children, and my one very large mortgage, feeling every bit the victim and looking back at my experience and saying, what could I have done differently? And uh, at the time, I was just keeping my head down and trying to do my work every day. And as, as everyone listening knows, you could spend 24-7 doing your work every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's, that was working for me. And that model had worked for me, and I had progressed through General Mills quite nicely. Uh, doing it that way. And I would work all day and then I would go home and be with my wife and kids at night. And it was a good life. Uh, what I discovered when I lost my job is that beyond the four walls of General Mills, I was really sadly disconnected from the rest of, of society and the rest of the corporate world. And uh, I, disco- I, I swore I would never let that happen again. Uh, and so what I did to address it, I, I began to build a network as we all do when we, when, when we're in outplacement basically. And I just started to develop relationships with people all around, uh, the world. And, uh, believe it or not, some of those relationships are still alive today, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And I, I have, I have friends in my network now that I've known for up to 30 years who uh, were helpful to me when I went through outplacement and I've been able to return the favor uh, from time to time with them. And I've learned so much more. I've learned more about the world in general. While I've still kept my head down and tried to do my work within the context of whatever company I've been working in. And I found that the more I learn about the outside world, the more effective I am with the inside world. And uh, so I do encourage people to, to keep that, that dual perspective, learn about what's going on around you, make sure you can do your work within the context of the greater world uh, when you have your head down and when you do what you have to do to get through a day. And it, it's proved to be a much richer life since then. Although I'll tell you, 1984 was about the most challenging, the second most challenging year of my career. Yeah, I, I can imagine. The you know, you have done a lot of writing and thinking on just how leaders process their days and their interactions. And in particular, you've done a lot of thinking on just framing how leaders see interruptions. And I know a lot of people see interruptions as, well, interruptions um, and try to minimize that. And I know a lot of us, and me included, I've done work to try to minimize some of those interruptions from others. And you've really challenged leaders to reframe interruptions as an opportunity for touch points. And I thought maybe we'd start by talking about what a touch point is and why you see this as, as something that's so important. Well, a, t- a touch point is, is a moment where you're interacting with someone around an issue and you have an opportunity to have a positive impact on that interaction. Uh, but let me step back for a minute and create a little context. You know, I go out and I speak to groups, everybody from Google to Vanguard and everything in between. And uh, uh, as I talk to these groups, 
uh, we go through the simple exercise and I ask them to put up their hand and ask them how many emails they get in a day. And, uh, and just last week I was talking to two large companies, multi, one very large company and one multi-billion dollar company with their executives. And, and I said, you get 100 emails a day and they're, all the hands stayed up. And we went up to 200 to 300 emails a day. Uh, so everyone's bombarded with emails. And then what about text messages? Oh, yeah, 20 to 30 of those, some from family, some from friends, some from work. And then uh, and by chance, do you actually have to talk to somebody on the phone? And, oh, yeah, we have to do that too. And do you actually have to go meet with real people at times and, and interact in meetings? And uh, then you're walking to the lunchroom. Do you have chance encounters with people who say, oh, I've been meaning to talk to you about this? And then, heaven forbid, you get a call from school that says, Johnny's not feeling very well. Can you drop everything, come home, and take care of him? And to a person, everyone, everyone is feeling like in this new world of technology, they feel as if they're taking a sip of water from the fire hydrant of life. It is washing over them, just washing over them. They feel as if they're drowning. They can't come up for air. Now, then we talk about, in my, in my presentations, we talk about, well, how do you think, is this going to, are you going to have more of these interruptions or less? And to a person, everyone says more. And, and then you say, well, what do you think your work is? The idea that you want to just push all these interruptions away to do your work uh, is, is a flawed idea because they're, com- they're going to be more coming at you. Uh, what we challenge people to do is to view these interruptions as their work. If you manage them well, you can keep, you can keep the organization on strategy. You can keep people connected to the work. If, if you don't manage them the w- well, I, gu- I, I can virtually guarantee you uh, you're not going to have an opportunity to raise your contribution profile with those organizations. So the reality is this is sort of fiddler on the roof time. On the other hand, there is no other hand. You just have to deal with it, and you have to make it a primary part of your work life, not a secondary part of your work life. If you choose to work in, a, in, a, in an organization with a large community of people, there's just no choice. So we encourage people to take these interactions and develop the skills necessary to manage them adroitly. And as you work on this, and we wrote a whole book on it, which we're not going to get into in great depth today, we, we encourage people to figure out how they want to approach these interactions in a, in a thoughtful, productive way. And then we t- teach them how they can do this so that they can authentically show up and be helpful to the people with whom they live and work and, and be efficient as well. Uh, we have no choice, Dave. Uh, this is this is the new reality, and uh, and to think to begin to to think that we can go back to the way it used to be, just not a choice, yeah. not a choice. If we choose to work in a community of people, if we want to be an entrepreneur or we want to be a writer and we want to go lock ourselves up in a smaller community, that's another choice. Yeah, I really resonate a lot with what you've said. And just in reviewing your book last week and reading more of what you'd written in the past couple of years, I I really was struck by just how your perspective on this has really changed my thinking in the last few days of just thinking about the 
interruptions and and things that have come my way and how I respond to those. And so it sounds like a lot of this is perspective that we bring as leaders. And, you know, I, I know you've become someone who's just so great at practicing this and has been a, a real strong advocate for it. Uh, and I know that you didn't always view interruptions that way, too. I, I'm wondering what you did, Doug, to reframe your own perspective on this as you started to utilize touch points more f- consistently in your work. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I, I developed an awareness uh, that uh, I was fighting an uphill battle as I tried to push all this away, particularly as I became a CEO about 14 years ago. I mean, uh, it was just coming at me fast and furious. I kept wanting to push it away, and it and the world was not going to be pushed away. So I said, I have to rethink this. And, uh, you know, there's a wonderful quote from Tolstoy and Anna Karenina, where, uh, uh, I don't remember the name of the character, but the quote is, happiness is not about outward things. It is about how one chooses to view them. And I decided to view the, all these interruptions as opportunities for me to exert stronger leadership as opposed to just push it away so I could exert stronger leadership elsewhere. Mm. And uh, I found that you know what was in, what's interesting about a touch point, and it's an interaction uh, where you have an opportunity to uh, deal with an issue and move things forward. Uh, and the uh, uh, you know there, there's a simple model for dealing with it. You you bring a how can I help mentality to the work. You do three things. You listen intently to what's said and not said. Uh, you make sure you uh, frame the issue so you understand the context in which this person's looking for your help. And then you just help them advance the agenda. So it's how can I help, listen, frame, advance, and then how did it go? And as you develop the skills in this area, you can really process these things in a very helpful way to the people around you. What I discovered as a CEO was the place where I had the most leverage, these people were coming to me, they actually wanted to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And so they were actually receptive to my point of view. Uh, and it's much like, uh, I don't want to equate, uh, managing people to raising children, but there's a, there's similarities. And when I wanted to talk to my children when they were young and they weren't particularly interested in hearing, I was not particularly productive. When they came and wanted to talk to me, we had very productive conversations. So I just tried to ladder up that, that orientation to my work life. And I found it remarkably helpful. These people wanted to address an issue, and uh, I found a way to make sure I knew whose issue it was. Is it yours, mine, or ours? And if it's yours, how can I help you move it? And let's move it, boom, and then let's move on. Uh, And I found that it was a way to clarify strategy, to make sure people understood their accountability, and to move the business forward. And I found myself much more productive at work uh, as opposed to just trying to fight this constant flow of, of interruptions. A friend of mine termed it, the action is in the interaction. Hmm. And uh, that made it into our book. And I think that's a, a helpful framework for uh, a helpful handle for framing what's in front of us. I, I really l- love the perspective of looking at not these, the interactions and interruptions of being separate from the work, but really being the work and being the the opportunity to 
connect on the vision and to build relationships and to advance strategy. And uh, that, that, that's really neat that you framed it that way. Well, and ultimately, uh, you know, in, in this world where uh, uh, capitalism or free enterprise, however you choose to define it, is, uh, is seeing unprecedented challenge in terms of information technology, diversity, globalization, all the traditional hierarchies are breaking down and people need to be more agile and they need to be able to make decisions on, on demand. And uh, so there's a whole new management expectation uh, creeping in and, and, and leaders need to acknowledge that and they need to be helping uh, their organization manage in this very demanding environment. And you can't just operate with, with, with old rules of engagement, you know, let's schedule a meeting in a week, send me a memo ahead of time, we'll talk about it, and then I'll opine on it, and then the smoke, the white smoke will come out of the, out of the chimney, and you'll not have my answer. That just won't work anymore. <laughs> but we all so, do it. In fact, you know, I'm laughing, Doug, because I did that yesterday. Someone in our organization reached out to me, and I said, you know what, let's talk about this in the meeting in three days that we already have scheduled. And now I'm thinking that that wasn't the way to respond well, at all. Well, I mean, you, the, uh, it's not that easy. You really have to have discipline because you of have, course, of course. on average, people, uh, in the, certainly in the corporate community and also in the academic community, actually, have anywhere from 100 to 200 interactions a day, you have to discriminate against some of them. Sure. But in things that matter, you know, you have to be very, part of the process we talk about in the book is you have to be very aware of the things that matter most. And when they, and when interactions come into you that fit in the things that matter most category, you've got to be ready to show up on demand. And, uh, you know, if, if, that thing that came up yesterday uh, is in that quadrant and things that matter most, uh, you probably should have dealt with it. If not, you probably can park it for three days. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of interactions, you're, you've become famous for your handwritten notes and the people who've been privileged to get them over the years, I know, love them. And I'm wondering if you could tell us how you started with with the notes and what it is you do with them and and I'm also curious just your perspective on to, in today's digital world when, you know, we don't all rely on the mail as much as we used to of just ways leaders can look to make, you know, to make connections like that. Well, first of all, uh, I'm, the headline here is my mother was right. <laughs> uh, you it's know, always you a- would get holiday gifts and you weren't allowed to play with them until you wrote your thank you notes. Oh, my mom did the same thing. I was terrible at that. I was terrible. <laughs> and right. I would do anything to get out of writing those notes. It oh, took me, me until I was almost 40, until I, until I was in my mid-30s, to realize the power of a note. Mm. And, uh, in fact, it started back in 1984 when, uh, when I lost my job and my outplacement counselor said, Doug, I want you to create... Uh, the best outplacement experience ever created in the history of the world. And you figure out what you need to do to do that. And, and he, and he suggested one practice and it was, I'd like you to say, and this is before we had, uh, the internet. Uh, and, uh, he said, I want you to think about handwriting a note 
to everybody who helps you with your job search every day and mail it within 24 hours of meeting with them. Mm. And that would include the receptionist at the, in the lobby of the building, the executive assistant who is the guard dog for the executive, and every executive you meet. I want you to keep track of everyone who is, is, who is showing you some goodwill in the day. He said it's going to do two things. One is you're going to start to see there are a lot of people in this world that actually want to help you. And B is you're going to see all kinds of opportunities to reinforce that behavior. Mm. So in that experience, that's what I did. I would go for an interview or I would go for a networking opportunity. And as soon as I was done meeting with people in a building, I would go next door to the coffee shop and I'd handwrite a note to every person. I had my envelopes, my stamps, and I would mail it right away. And, uh, and I have largely been doing that practice ever since. Now, I think there's a bigger theme here, and that is in work, work, I regard work as sacred ground. Uh, We all do, we're all either working or thinking about work more than probably anything else we do, including raising our children and, and spending time with our loved ones. It's, it's sort of the nature of the beast. We're working eight to 10 hours a day. We're then thinking about what we have to do tomorrow and what we should have done today. We go to sleep that way. We wake up thinking about what do I have to do now? And, and plus, we're affecting the lives of others. And to me, that's sacred ground. And I want to treat that sacred ground with, with great respect. And I, I encourage people to make it personal. Make it a personal journey where you're, uh, where you're personally connecting with the people who are sharing this journey with you mm. on this sacred ground. So I started writing these notes, and then I, uh, as I went to work, I started to realize there's a powerful opportunity here for me to reinforce good behavior. So most companies are built to be great critical thinking companies and find mistakes and solve problems. Most companies are not well built in terms of reinforcing what's going right. So I always try and bring the right balance to to the conversation. Uh, I'll use Campbell's Soup as illustratively. I find I developed the practice of Campbell's Soup uh, of writing 10 to 20 notes a day, handwritten, making it personal so they knew it wasn't an assistant sending an email for me. Uh, to employees around the world who were delivering projects on time, under budget, uh, or had run a particularly good meeting with a customer, or uh, who, who had made contributions of significance. And uh, I wanted them to know, A, I was paying attention, and B, I personally appreciated their contribution to our company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had uh, one of my executive assistants spend a little time going through our portal every day. And we found just a host of wonderful opportunities to, uh, to send notes to people every day. So I took about an hour of time and I wrote 10 to 20 notes a day, six days a week for the better part of 10 years, uh, celebrating contributions of significance. These were not gratuitous. Hope you have a nice day. Sometimes they were, but by and large, they were not gratuitous notes. They were focused on 
things that were advancing our company, delivering on the strategy. And, uh, and I, 10 to 20 notes a day, when I retired, we added them all up. And at a minimum, uh, we figured out I'd sent over 30,000 notes. Wow. And, and that was actually, uh, we only had 20,000 employees. And wherever you would go in the world, you would see a note on a bulletin board or uh, somewhere on in their cubicle, a note from me, handwritten, unmistakable, uh, saying, nice job on this project. Thank you for your service to our company. Uh, we are paying attention. And it'd be signed, Doug. And uh, uh, fast forward, I retired uh, two years ago, and the employees did a lovely video for me, un- unanticipated, thanking me for my thank you notes. Hmm. That's posted on our website, and uh, and I encourage people to look at it. it. It runs about eight minutes, but you get the point. But, uh, you know, and I say, what would your video be? What would, what would the people with whom you work, what would their video say about you? Hmm. I love that. You know, and, and, uh, and what kind of mark are you making in the world on this sacred ground valuing these people who are so critical to your success and helping them stay on strategy and know what matters most and know that their contributions are truly pro, uh, truly valued. Mm. Uh, and so I have found it just been a, a great tool for helping keep the organization's rudder in the water. It hasn't stopped there. Uh, now I travel a lot more and I actually, uh, I do more via email, but um, I believe the power we have to personally validate the work others are doing in respect to our own is is just boundless. One last point on these notes. I was in a near-fatal car accident five years ago and, mm. and have, uh, uh, it's, it's been a challenging four, year, four and a half years for me uh, physically uh, through multiple surgeries. Hmm, but after the initial accident, we started getting employee uh, notes from employees. First a dozen, then twenty, then a hundred, and we got up into the thousands of notes from these employees saying, uh, "Mr. Conant, I, we've never met, but you, four years ago, you sent me a note that I shared with my family in Singapore, uh, where you acknowledged my contribution to a project." I understand you and your family are going through a hard time right now. I want you to know that you and your family are in our thoughts and prayers. And in my office here in Philadelphia, I've got a whole bookshelf filled with notebooks, filled with these notes from our employees. Wow. Uh, And let me tell you, it sustained my wife and I through some pretty dark days as, as I was trying to recover from, uh, from the initial accident. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it just further validated what goes around comes around. I didn't send those notes out to get notes back. But I'll tell you, in my moment of need, those people were there for me. And they were there for me in an unconditional and complete way. And I've got to say that I believe a lot of that had to do with the way I was trying to be there for them in an unconditional and complete way. Mm-hmm. Well, what a what an amazing story, Doug. And I I just I love the the way that the community of folks at Campbell Soup responded and people in your 
in your life who uh, then reached out to you in that way too. What a what a great what a great story of looking for the good. Um, you know, we've talked about that on the show. You before. gotta have you gotta deal. By the way, you have to deal with the bad. And uh, in our book, you know, uh, my central theme is to be tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people. Mm. If you want to work in the corporate world, you got to perform. And you do have to have world-class standards, and you have to deliver world-class performance. But that doesn't mean you, you, that should be at the expense of the people with whom you work. They should feel fully su- challenged, but also fully supported by you. And uh, so this is not part. Sometimes I get into this, and people feel as if we're all holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Uh, and to a degree we are, but we are very performance-driven. Uh, Absent performance, your opportunity to lead and contribute will diminish quickly. So uh, uh, this is all about being tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people. And speaking of which, you have a great track record, and it certainly speaks for yourself. And I encourage folks to go check out the website. And I will put a link to that video, Doug, on the show notes here that you had mentioned as well. Um, And I, I know that there are younger, less experienced leaders who are listening and I wonder what advice you'd have for that newer leader who's really under a lot of pressure in their organization to drive performance and to show results. And what would be the first step you'd suggest for them to begin to make this a priority and to have that perspective to be tenderhearted with people, but tough on performance still? Well, I, 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 there, there, are, there are two thoughts I have, Dave. Uh, the first one at a high level is to, uh, well, I'll give you an example. We talk to, le- we talk about leadership and I go out and I talk about it all over. Uh, and, and it begins to sound like, you know, uh, an unapproachable idea because you talk about Churchill or Gandhi or Margaret Thatcher or, you know, some, some, uh, luminary in some chosen field. And, 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 and when I was younger, I was thinking, well, how can, you know, I've, I, you know, that's all well and good, but I've got to put bread on the table and I've got to just get my job done here. And, uh, what I have found is when I go out and speak to groups, particularly younger groups, uh, we go through an exercise where, uh, I, I have them think about touch points where someone said, in an interaction to them, just the right thing in just the right way at just the right time, and uh, and where uh, and and they carry the message from that with them uh, every day they they go to work. I'll give you an example in, in my life. Uh, I was in my first year of graduate school at Kellogg at the Kellogg School at Northwestern. And my professor was a fellow by the name of Ram Sharan, who has become known as a global leader in yes. management thinking. Of course. In fact, he wrote the foreword to our book. But he was my professor. I, at the time, was holding three jobs and trying to go to school full-time right out of college. And I went straight on to the Kellogg Business School. So I was 21. And uh, he was in my first quarter class. And I was running from one, from my work, and I just got to class. I was a little late. The only place to sit was up front, which would teach me to be late. And uh, and Ram came up to me, Mr. Conan, what did you think of this assignment? And I was totally unprepared. 
uh, I've been working too hard and not studying enough. And I was embarrassed. The interaction was somewhat embarrassing, but he was kind to me and he just moved on to the next person. As I was uh, trying to sneak out of class when it ended, uh, Rom said, Mr. Conant, please come up to the front. And everybody filed out and I was up there with him and he came up to me and said, Mr. Conant, you have great potential. You can do better. And I remember this, you can do better uh, as if it was yesterday and it was 40 years ago. Mm. Uh, he, he didn't embarrass me in the class, but he challenged me to do better. He said I had potential. And I carry this, I can do better mentality with me every day. And I have since I heard it from him 40 years ago. Uh, again, on our website, I have 10 little touch points like that where I share these. In those 10 touch points, there were 59 words spoken, less than six words in interaction that I remember. And on average, if I say all those words together, those 59 words, it takes about 40 seconds or four seconds per touch point. 10 touch points, six words, four seconds per touch point. And those 10 touch points have had a more profound influence on me in my life than all the education I had at Kellogg and all the continuing education I've had since. Mm -hmm. uh, the, they were these incredible moments with people who listened carefully to the person, the, were listening carefully to my situation, were trying to help me move forward in a helpful way. And what I remind the younger audience to do is they all have had those experiences with a teacher, a coach, a parent, a, possibly a boss, not very likely. And I say, you know what leadership looks like. You've lived it. You've experienced it. And what I'm challenging you to do in these touch points is be that person with the people with whom you live and work. So I call upon people when they're just starting to just leverage that experience they've had where they know what a great moment looks like. They've experienced them at the feet of some people who have helped them shape their lives. And they need to be more like that with the people with whom they live and work. That's the first thing. That's an approachable idea. You can do that tomorrow. You've been there. You know what that experience is all about. The companion thought to that is bringing a, what I call a how can I help mentality to every interaction. That's what I learned from my outplacement concert when I was out looking for a job. He said, you're not looking for a job. You're looking for an opportunity to help. And wherever you go, if you bring this how can I help mentality to the work, people will be drawn to you. Uh, and, and you will find a way to contribute in a way that advances the enterprise. Uh, it's not about you. It's about the enterprise and helping people move forward. And so that's the other thought I'd have. Uh, you know, draw, the first thought is draw on the experiences you have in those incredible leadership moments, I call them touch points, and be more like that with the people with whom you live and work. And the second companion idea is in all your interactions, bring a how can I help mentality to the work. I guess the third thought, if, I, if I'm going to pile on here, is, is develop this tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people mentality. Mm an abundance, what Stephen Covey would call an abundance mentality. And uh, those three thoughts will get you through the day. Uh, I don't care if you're just starting your career 
or wrapping up your career. Those three thoughts will get you through the day. I, I love that you brought us back to your college experience, Doug, um, because I know how much a heart you have for young people. And my wife, Bonnie, is a business professor and sees students often who are fearful and nervous about making real, genuine connections with people once they go out and, and start making connections in organizations. And I know you've been a leader in providing coaching to young people through SIFE and Enactus over the years. And I'm wondering what advice you'd have for uh, them on just the best way to overcome some of that nervousness and begin engaging on their own. Well, you know, uh, and we talk about this in our book. I, I, I think if you really want to be good at connecting with people in the enterprise and moving things forward, I think you have to work on it. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Colvin wrote a great book. He's a writer for Fortune magazine. He's really he's one of the best business writers. He wrote a book about talent is overrated. And in the book, he talked about the power of deliberate practice. I think you really have to work at, at, at developing yourself and, 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 and improving your ability to contribute. And Marcus, some of the Marcus Buckingham work has, has publicized the importance of 10,000 hours of practice. Mm-hmm. If you want to be good at anything, I don't care if it's um, a doctor, a lawyer, a brilliant business professor, a, uh, a Dale Carnegie trainer or, and coach, or a leader. You've got to... It, you have to put in the time and you have to develop it. I, I talk about developing uh, your leadership and I talk about it as a craft. It really drives off a mastery model. And so uh, what I encourage people to do is really reflect on the, the person they want to be and the leader they want to be and, and, and do some work to, to, to raise up their ability to contribute. To, to be really good at this, you have to cultivate three things. You have to cultivate your head, your heart, and your hands. You have to build a leadership model that works for you and how you want to stand in the midst of all this stuff that's washing over you. As I said earlier, this uh, getting a sip of water from the fire hydrant of life as it's washing over you. You have to develop a model for how you want to handle those things that's, that's well thought out before you encounter them every day. Then when you show up in those moments, you have to, you have to have the heart for the moment. You have to show up with great authenticity. Uh, and then the third thing is you have to have the hands, and we call that the practice. Uh, you have to practice leveraging your model with great authenticity in all of these moments. Um, and if you do that in a deliberate way, as Jeff talks about, the, with deliberate practice, it's amazing how you can improve your contribution profile. Maybe one or two interactions a day. Before you know it, it's five or six interactions a day. And before you know it, your contribution profile has improved geometrically. And that's something that young people can start doing today. Uh, And, you know, our Touchpoints book uh, provides a blueprint for how you do that. But uh, all that having been said, every people know what this looks like. They've experienced it themselves, and I do encourage them. The shortcut is just think about the people who had a most profound influence on you. They've had a good model for thinking through things. They've showed up with you with great authenticity. 
and they and they've been there for you with great consistency and challenging you to do better. Uh, head, heart, hands. It's it's a simple way to think about uh, developing the kind of personal discipline you need to be really good at your craft of contribution. Well, Doug, speaking about contribution, I'm I'm just really grateful for the work that you're doing right now. Um, you know, particularly speaking about the hands part. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who talk, speak, and write about leadership. And not everybody has the practical experience and the amazing track record that you do. And I, I suspect at your point in your career, you don't need to be doing the work that you're doing. Um, but the fact that you've had such great success and now are doing so much through your writing, through your speaking, and through connecting with young people to uh, really help people to create the kind of leadership for the 21st century that we all need, I, I think is really, uh, is really exciting. And I'm, I really encourage everyone in our audience to check out the book Touch Points. I've really found the perspective to be very helpful. It's gotten me thinking a lot about how I interact with people, and I'm just really grateful for the work that you're doing. Well, in the words of Ram Charan, we can all do better, and, uh, and, and I, I think we have to. We owe it to the people with whom we live and work. We have to show up uh, in a more complete and more fulsome way. Uh, we owe it to them and we owe it to ourselves, you know, I, and, and we can, we all know what it looks like. So it does take a little personal discipline and at times it feels like heavy lifting, but, uh, uh, really this is the one opportunity we have to, to kind of walk, walk on this sacred ground and we, we just owe it to the people, uh, to make the most of it. Doug Conant is the founder of Conant Leadership and the former CEO of Campbell Soup. His book, along with Meta Norgard, is the New York Times bestseller, Touch Points, Creating Powerful Leadership Connections in the Smallest of Moments, and you can find him online at ConantLeadership.com. Doug, thank you so much for your wisdom and your time. I'm so glad you joined us for the show today. Happy to help. I hope you have a good day. Same to you. So my question for all of us this week is where is one place you have an opportunity to create meaningful touch points in your work? I've been thinking about this question myself over the last week because I'm recording this segment about a week after I interviewed Doug and I have taken on Doug's challenge to begin to connect more with people in writing and I've started to handwrite more notes and get those out. And so I would challenge all of us to look for an opportunity to implement what Doug is talking about here and what, you know, the, all the wisdom he has here and, and find something that you can create those meaningful touch points. We all have the opportunity to do that every single day. And in addition, I have placed in the show notes here several links that will be of real value to you. And Doug is one of these folks that it doesn't really matter who you are or in what industry you're in. If you are leading in any capacity, he's someone that I think you just really want to be influenced by. And so I've put links to a couple of the recent articles he's written, including the one I referenced early on in our conversation about him talking about losing his first job 
and what that experience was like. I've also put a link to his book, Touch Points, Creating Powerful Leadership Connections in the Smallest of Moments. He co-wrote that with Meta Norgard, uh, a great resource that goes obviously into a lot more detail here. So check out the link for that to Amazon in the show notes. Of course, for those of you who get the weekly update, you'll get all the links to that and uh, the links to Doug's site in your weekly update email coming on Wednesday. And then one final thing I'd suggest for connecting with Doug is either connecting with him on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, I've been uh, following Doug on Twitter for probably about a year now. And uh, the thing I love about him is he just, he so practices what he preaches. Uh, anytime I share one of his articles or, um, or you know, favorite something. It seems like almost always he responds and, you know, starts a conversation. I, I just think that's great uh, that someone of his success and visibility uh, really engages that way. And his track record just speaks for him, speaks for itself. So if you're a Twitter user, I'd really encourage you to follow him. And of course, if you want to get access to the show notes, if you don't already receive the weekly updates, you can always get those on the website as well. The way to do that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash 136. It'll take you to the notes for this episode. That's the same thing for every episode, by the way. Always slash the episode number so you can reference past episodes as well. If you would like to join the conversation about touch points or uh, comment on anything Doug or I mentioned, the discussion form for this episode is at the very bottom of the notes there too, so please join in. You can also always send comments, questions, or feedback about the show in general to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And speaking of feedback, thank you all for the opportunity to influence you each week and for taking a moment to subscribe to my weekly update. I do publish a email each Wednesday that will give you a booster shot between the shows on how to lead better communications wise, human relations wise, productivity wise. And the following folks have done that in the last week. So a huge thank you to Allison Nail, Craig Boothroyd, Dana Ruckman, Barry Alcock, Lorena Smith, Ulysses Cognato, Stephanie Russo, DeWalker Nalamani, Travel Pod, Brenda McPherson, Camille Mongian, I think. Sorry, Camille, if I got your name wrong. Uh, Keith Pritchard, Santosh K, Gwen Nezdowski, uh, bonus points if you have a cool Polish name, by the way, uh, Marin Gio, Justice Birenbach, Dale Hatchard, and Julio Fernandez Gayasso. Thank you to all of you. Um, the If you'd like to get the weekly update plus the notes from every show that's aired, you'll get that in your inbox on Wednesdays. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And plus, you will get instant access to the video overview and downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. So definitely check that out if you're looking for resources on things that would be helpful for your reading. And a very special thank you also this week to the person named Is Laura or IS Laura on iTunes and Maria W on Stitcher. Thank you to you both for the really kind written review you left about the show. I'm so glad the show's been valuable to both of you. And if that's true for you as well, and the show's been helpful to you, it is a huge help uh, for this community to grow. 
to take a moment to write a written review, either on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you uh, would like to do that, I'd be very grateful. Coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes, or if you use Stitcher, coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. Yeah, Stitcher is becoming such a big platform. There's over a thousand people who listen to this show every week just on Stitcher. It's amazing. So thank you for those of you who have invested in that platform. And it's a wonderful resource for education and learning. And I'm so excited to see more of that out there. Hey, have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you back next week. Take care. Hey, can I just say that I have a huge craving right now for a cup of Campbell's tomato soup and a grilled cheese sandwich? Mmm.